Well, please stand with me again. One more time, let's read together um, the section of Scripture for study today. We've been studying the prophet Jonah. And I'd like to read the next section together, and I'll read it to you as we have done with other narratives so that you can hear the flow of thought. Jonah 1.17 through chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, as we come to this text, what a text it is to see Your work in Jonah's life, in his heart, drawing him to repentance and humility and even thanksgiving. Father, do that with us. We are Your children. We have been purchased by the blood of Christ. We confess with Job that we know that You can do all things and that no purpose of Yours can be thwarted. We have spoken of things often that we do not really even understand. Things too wonderful for us which we do not really know. So Father, let us hear. You speak to us. You make it known to us. We can hear of You by the hearing of the ear, but we want to see You through the Word. We want to see You in all of Your glory. And in so doing, we will despise ourselves, for we are sinful. But You will draw us to repentance. Father, do this work in us. Not only confront us and convict us, but comfort us in the Gospel of Jesus Christ so that we may praise You all of our days. We pray this for our good, for Your glory, for the exaltation of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we've been speaking together of the story of Jonah, this wonderful prophet. And we've noted that the main idea of the prophet Jonah is salvation belongs to the Lord. Everything comes to a climax, as it were, right at the end of this particular section, chapter 2, verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And we can, we'll be able to see this in many ways throughout the prophet Jonah. We've already seen it in God's salvation of these mariners who didn't know what was coming their way. 
We will see it today in the heart of Jonah, and we will also see it in the city of Nineveh coming the next couple of Sundays. But let's remember where Jonah has been for just a moment before we get into this section of the text. Remember, God sent his word to Jonah. God sent his word. God had a plan to save this pagan city, which was the capital of the empire of Assyria. God commanded Jonah to preach to Nineveh. And what did Jonah do? He rebelled against the Lord. He's the prophet of God. He's a child of Yahweh. And yet, he's running in the opposite direction. The text tells us that he was running from God's presence. And we understood that last week as running from God's face in terms of God's word and, God's, and, and prayer with God. He ran away from enjoying fellowship with God. He ran away from the knowledge of God. Worship, service, the place of worship, God's people. He's running from it all. Running from God's will. Why? Because he didn't want to do what God had commanded him to do. He was bitter and proud and entitled and angry. He he didn't want the Ninevites to be saved by the loving kindness of God. The text makes all this plain. In fact, we noted last week that the pagan mariners were more responsive to God than Jonah was. And that's part of what comes from the book of Jonah, is this indictment against God's people. It should have been Jonah that was falling on his face there in the storm, begging God to be merciful and to restore him, and yet it was these pagan mariners. And so all this time, Jonah has been running, and even in the storm, he is sleeping. He's not attentive to God's discipline in his life. Jonah would rather die than obey God. We saw that last week. He didn't know it was following his going overboard. All he thought was, I want to be done with all this. I want to be done with it. He was proud and bitter. He thought himself entitled, deserving of God's grace, condescending and scornful toward the Ninevites who he considered his enemies and had no compassion on them, no mercy, no kindness. He didn't want to preach the gospel to them. And so Jonah is going down. The, the, uh, the narrative takes us on this visual sense of what it means to run from the presence of God. He goes down to Joppa, chapter 1, verse 3, the first part. He goes down into the ship, verse 3, the second part of the verse. He goes down to the inner part of the ship, verse 5. And then he goes and he lays down and goes to sleep in the second part of verse 5. But then, at that point, God begins to let Jonah feel the impact of his rebellion. And eventually, he takes him down even further. You can see this in chapter 2, verse verse 6. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Now when you see a child of God like Jonah, a prophet of God, running like this from God's will and God's purposes for him, what does God do about it? What do you do as a good father when your children run from you? I'm not talking about at a time of play where they're running away with something that they don't want you to get a hold of. I'm talking about in their hearts. You can begin to feel your children's proximity to you, can't you? And what do you do? Whatever child you sense is most distant from you, you move toward them. You seek to do what it takes to draw them in, to encourage them in your love, to confront the issue, to speak truth, and to address their need, and to help them to return. Would God do any less with His children? Of course not. That's exactly what God does with Jonah. What will God do when his children try to run from him like this? He will deliver them from themselves. (laughs) He will deliver them from their sin, from their rebellion and their running. What will he do to do that? What will he do to deliver them so that he can accomplish the good works he's planned to do through them and bring salvation even to others as well? Remember, God has a bigger plan than just Jonah here. Jonah runs because he doesn't want to preach the gospel to Nineveh. Now, God will save Jonah from himself and his willfulness 
and then set him back on the course of his purposes so that he will speak the word to Nineveh. What will Yahweh do to show that salvation belongs to him? Well, there's three main activities that form the outline you can look at in your, in your bulletin this morning. Number one comes from chapter 1, verse 17, and the Lord appointed. That's point one. The Lord appointed. Yahweh appoints things to happen so that His children are returned to Him. And number two, Jonah prayed. There's the effect of Yahweh's appointment with them. They turn in prayer to Him. And then, after God accomplishes His purposes in His children, the Lord speaks and brings them up out of that place of discipline. That's our outline. Yahweh appoints, Jonah prayed, and Yahweh speaks, the Lord speaks. So let's look at how this unfolds and watch the salvation of the Lord. Number one, Yahweh appointed. Last Sunday, we left Jonah just sinking beneath the waves. Remember, he's been under the waves for a week now. No, but he's been sinking there. And we, we left him there beneath the waves of the Mediterranean Sea, somewhere between Joppa and Tarshish. So what happens next? I mean, you can imagine this extremely frightening scene. If you've ever you know, seen anything on television where a ship is broken and people are there in the waves, there, there's nothing. I can't imagine too much that's more terrifying than being there helpless out in the middle of a great sea. And there's Jonah. And he sinks down deeper and deeper under the waves, holding his breath probably, stubbornly and selfishly hoping to die and be done with it all. Something then very amazing happens. Something Jonah couldn't have anticipated. God appointed a great fish. And not just any fish, right? This is a great fish. And that great fish comes along and swallows Jonah. And Jonah stays in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, just as the text says. Now, when you ask a child, a kid, about the story of Jonah, what do they usually tell you about first? Oh, that's the story of the whale, right? Or the great fish that swallowed Jonah. In fact, sometimes the great fish gets more attention, right, with the story of Jonah than anyone else. And I think that's probably unfortunate. Because what is more important is what is going on in the belly of the fish is what is going on in Jonah's heart. Right? What is God doing? What is the great God doing in the heart of Jonah? So what is going on in the heart of Jonah? That's really what we need to ask here because that's what most of chapter 2 is about. What is going on in the heart of Jonah? Well, I think I see here an unmistakable work of discipline. And what would Jonah have thought when he sees this great fish coming up to swallow him and then he's alive inside the fish? Yes, there's stories throughout history. You can look it up in encyclopedias and, and, and hear stories and read stories of men who were found even alive inside of great fish. That's not the point. The point is that God is at work. When God's kids run away from His face, He loves them so much that He will do what it takes to stop them in the course of their rebellion and cause them to walk in righteousness. That's what God is doing here with Jonah. This is an unmistakable work of discipline in Jonah's life. God will do those things even at great cost to Himself. Even at great cost to His children, He will bring them home. You know, we love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, don't we? But sometimes we, we stop short of quoting verses 11 and 12. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruit of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. But verse 11 says, My son, 
Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves the one whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Of course, that's quoted in Hebrews 12. But this is what God is doing in Jonah's life through a great fish. And this isn't one aspect, a vital aspect of Yahweh's everlasting, unfailing love. Romans 8, 31-32, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Was God for Jonah by appointing a great fish? Absolutely He was for Jonah. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? And so often in those all things, we think of all the good things. Or, shall I say, the pleasant things. Because all that God gives us is good. We think of the pleasant things. But this is part of the the good that God brings to His children. An unmistakable work of discipline. Number two, I also see here an unmistakable call to repentance. Jonah knew being in the belly of the great fish in the depths of the Mediterranean Sea, still alive, was the hand of God. You can see this, and we'll we'll talk more about this in a bit, but you can see this particularly in verse 3. Did you notice? For you cast me into the deep. Who's Jonah talking to in this prayer? He's talking to God. You cast me here, God. It's ultimately you who have done this. Jonah is there, still alive, in the belly of a whale, knowing this is the hand of God. Even though he had run from God, he had a great awareness that God had not abandoned him. And so Jonah knew that this was the call of God to turn from running and rebellion to turn back to God. This was the powerful and clear summons to turn from sin and self-willfulness to submission and to surrender completely to the Lordship of Yahweh, his God. That's what Jonah is experiencing. He couldn't couldn't physically run anymore. Right? He's there in the belly of this fish. He He can't run anymore. He was completely hemmed in, as Psalm 139 says. He's hemmed in all around. And this was God's call to stop running in his heart as well. This was clearly a call to repentance. This is also number three in in considering this first act of Yahweh, an unmistakable act of rescue. This is an unmistakable work of discipline, a, a call to repentance, but then it's an act of rescue. God sends a great fish to swallow Jonah. What an amazing and resourceful God. (laughs) This is an amazing thing. What a powerful and providential act of God this is to bring along a fish. God appointed a fish to come. And I think part of this is that God protects Jonah from drowning. Preserving him in the belly of this great fish three days and three nights. That's That's quite a long time to be in the belly of a great fish. But we have to notice something else here. Clearly, this is not just about Jonah being rescued physically and being preserved physically, because otherwise, this fish could have spat Jonah out much sooner, right? Why three days and three nights? Well, there's more than meets the eye, but certainly, God is not just rescuing him physically. God is rescuing Jonah again from himself. This is, this is a time for Jonah to, to think, and to pray, and to be aware of what God is doing. And so God kept Jonah right where he wanted him for as long as he wanted him there in order to humble him and to make him fruitful and faithful. And then this is also an unmistakable move to restoration. Remember, again, God has called Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach to them so that God would save them from their sin and his wrath. And this, that act of preaching and seeing Nineveh saved is one of the good works that, that God had prepared for Jonah to do. Right? We know this. Just like Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith. And this isn't your doing, it's a gift of God. And it says later on there in verse 10, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God had to deliver Jonah before he would deliver Nineveh. And Jonah wasn't equipped in his heart yet to go and preach, was he? 
He was, again, proud, bitter, entitled, thinking that he deserved the grace of God and that these Ninevites should be condemned because of their their sin. Indeed, they should, but Jonah was certainly not deserving of God's grace. and He was called to be a messenger of the truth. And so God had good works planned for Jonah, and God was restoring Jonah, was equipping Jonah, was preparing Jonah to preach to Nineveh because God's purpose was to save them. And this is how we see that salvation is the Lord. See, is of the Lord, belongs to the Lord. This is God's work, even through the appointment of a fish. Now, let's look at number two here. Jonah prayed. What happens because of this appointment? What happens in Jonah's heart? What happens in the, in the belly of the fish? This is verses 1 through 9 of chapter 2. I believe that God brought Jonah to repentance. Even though he struggled later, and I think even that's instructive, isn't it? Once we come to repentance on certain issues, is it, is it always true that we got that squared away and we never have to deal with it again? I don't think that's reality. I think, I think there's some genuine repentance here in Jonah's prayer, which I, which I will show you. And the Lord would make clear to us, yes, he struggled later, but this prayer is truly a prayer of, of repentance. So, so as we look at the elements of Jonah's prayer, let's observe together the good work of repentance that, that our saving God is bringing about in the life of one of his children. This is God's work. We have, to, we have to recognize that. Any repentance that happens in us or any of his children is a work of God's grace through the Spirit. You think that Jonah can conjure up these, these thoughts and these responses and, and turn to God in his own power? Absolutely not. This is a work of God. Also, what we'll see here is the marks of genuine repentance. It's an important thing. There are many sections of Scripture that give us some clear marks of repentance. Have you ever wondered in your own heart, is this repentance real? Is my repentance real? Have you ever wondered that about someone else you love that you're seeking to, to disciple or encourage to Christ? Is that real repentance? Because isn't that an important question to ask? If there's anything that we dread as a true child of God, it's pretending, isn't it? I don't want to pretend. I don't want this to be a human activity here that is of my own making. I want to know that my repentance is a work of God that's real, that it's true, that it's honoring to the Lord, truly changing. So what we'll see here are some signs of real repentance in the lives of those in whom God is at work, which then in turn gives us another thing to think about, which is that here we will find signs of true sonship. You begin to wonder, am I a true child of God? Well, this is something you can do to begin to look at in your life. Do you see the work of God moving you to true repentance? Because He will for every one of His children. You might not see all of these things all the time, and they might not be in full bloom, but are they there? Are they there? Are they growing? Are you praying for them? Are you thinking about them? Are you examining your own heart before the Lord? So you'll see the work of repentance that God does. You'll see the marks of repentance here. You'll see the signs of true sonship. So let's observe God's gracious work of true repentance found in Jonah's heartfelt prayer. And I want you to keep something else in mind as we do. This whole prayer, the whole prayer, happens where? In the belly of the fish. As you read some of these words, you're going to want to think, well, that sounds like it's after he came out already. No. Look what the text says. Then Jonah prayed to his God, what? From the belly of the fish. Now that is going to really be instructive for us. Because we're going to see here that nothing in Jonah's circumstances changed. He's still in the belly of the fish when he says all these things. Nothing in his circumstances. God didn't change his circumstances yet. And yet, this is what's coming from Jonah's heart. 
He doesn't know what's happening next, and yet God is changing his heart. So, a few things here. The first thing I see in Jonah's prayer is simply Jonah turns to God in prayer. Jonah turns to God in prayer. Here's, here's the first aspect of his repentance. And there's, there's nine titles here, and I'll try to move through them fairly quickly. Jonah turns to God in prayer. What was Jonah doing? Jonah was running from God's face. Now, what is Jonah doing? Jonah is turning to God's face. Jonah is turning back. He's retracing his steps. That's what repentance is. It's, it's the heart that says, I don't want to obey you, God. I want my way. And so I'm going to shut everything that I can of your presence out. And now Jonah's turning to God in prayer. Verse 1, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. This is what chastened, repentant children of God do because God is graciously, lovingly at work in their hearts. You know what's glorious about repentance? is you don't have to wait to fellowship with God after you have sinned. And you don't have to wait for Him to trust you again. Immediately when you turn to the Lord, you can fellowship with Him. Because you are already cleansed and forgiven through the work of Christ. And He's there to hear your prayer. That's repentance. Romans 8, 14-16, For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When you are a child of God and you are in the depths of discipline, this is the most natural thing for you to do is to turn to your Father in prayer. God, I know you're doing this. I receive this as from your hand. Teach me. Show me. What, what do you want to correct in me? What do you want to change in me? What are you doing? Search my heart. Right? We've, we've taken up those prayers as children of God. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. This is, this is what a child of God does. Secondly, Jonah turns to God's Word. Jonah turns to God's word. This prayer is interesting. You follow the whole, you follow the whole prophecy of Jonah here, and, you, and it unfolds like a narrative. It's a story. And then all of a sudden in chapter 2, you see that your Bible even does something different with the wording. What is this chapter 2? It's like a psalm, isn't it? It reads like a psalm. That is very interesting and instructive to us. It reads like a psalm. Could it be that as Jonah sank down deeply in his depravity and in his father's discipline, that his mind turned to the psalms that he knew so well and thought, if David prayed like this in his sin, so must I. Remember the psalms came before Jonah. He knew them. He must have sung them with the people of God in the temple. And so he turned again to the Word of God from which he was running. Remember, the Word of God came to him and said, you must go, go to, to Nineveh. And he didn't want anything to do with God's Word. And so now in the place of discipline, he turned again to the Word of God that is a lamp and a light in the darkest places. That's what the children of God do. They must. They're driven to by the Spirit within them. Must he thought of, maybe he thought of Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Or maybe he thought, and this would be very appropriate for Jonah, Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you. O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? with you there is forgiveness and that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Oh Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love and with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. How many of you under great trial and under the discipline of the Lord have spoken one of God's very own psalms back to Him? 
That's what we do. We have to go to God's word as his children. God, show me. Comfort me. In, in your deepest, darkest places, you have to know, you have to hear from the Lord that, that He is faithful to you, that He will not abandon you, that He has forgiven you, that He will hold you fast, that He still loves you, that you are safe in Christ, that He would instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go and guide you, right? Psalm 32. You need that, you need that guidance out of the depths of the belly of the fish. And so you turn to God's Word and even pray it back to Him, asking Him to do that which He's promised. This is what chastened, repentant children of God do because God graciously is working in their hearts. So Jonah turns to prayer. Jonah turns to God's Word. Third, Jonah turns to God's sovereignty. Jonah turns and looks at God's sovereignty again. Like we said earlier, verse 3, For you, you, Yahweh, cast me into the deep. And all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Driven, that's a, a passive verb. Jonah is not doing the one driving. Something is driving him away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. Jonah clearly recognizes the difference between secondary and primary causes. He knows that he told the sailors to cast him over into the sea. He knows that the sailors picked him up and threw him over into the sea. But that's not all Jonah recognizes. He also realizes that God is the sovereign one who is making the kingly decrees behind all things, either allowing something to happen or causing something to happen. And so Jonah has experienced firsthand God's sovereignty over the sea and the sky and the wind and the storm and the sailors and now the fish. The depths. He knows God is sovereign even over Himself. God is sovereign over all things. Certainly, Jonah has been educated biblically. Right? He's got, he's got a, a doctorate in prophecy or something. He's been educated biblically about the sovereignty of God. He has had theological knowledge of God's sovereignty. But now, now it's different. Jonah was experiencing this personally, keenly, profoundly. The sovereignty of God upon his life. Have you experienced that? Like, I am in this place, and I am not here by my own will, and I would rather be elsewhere, but I am helpless. God, you have brought me here. That's where Jonah is. You have brought me here. And he knew that God was at work for his good in steadfast love and mercy and kindness and grace. I like to think of it as Jonah having a Job experience. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I'll question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's what happened to Jonah too. He heard about God. He heard about God's sovereignty and God's work in the lives of his children. Now he's seeing it firsthand. He's experiencing it deeply for himself. Jonah knew that God was sovereignly orchestrating all of this because of his rebellion and for his good and for his saving purposes. And he was ready to respond to it thoughtfully and humbly. This is what Romans 8.28 is all about, right? God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. This is how chastened, repentant children of God begin to respond to God. They see that he in his sovereign hand is over it all. The next one, Jonah turns to God in his distress. Jonah turns to prayer. Jonah turns to God's word. Jonah turns to God's sovereignty. This word for turn is really another way of saying repentance. Jonah turns to God in his distress. Verses 2 and 3, Jonah doesn't um, ignore what he's experiencing at all. 
he's really honest about his circumstances. I called out to the Lord in my, out of my distress. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And you heard my voice. Verses 5-7, through seven, or verse 3 as well. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Job is, or, uh, Jonah is honest. Job was too. But Jonah is honest about his circumstances. This is an important thing as well. When we are under the discipline of God, he doesn't explain away or minimize the seriousness of his situation. He doesn't say, well, things like this happen. He doesn't say, well, someone has it worse, I'm sure. Or, the Lord knows I can handle this, so that's why he gives it to me. Or, this really isn't that bad. I don't have anything to complain about. He is now alert and he's thoughtful to the severity and the seriousness of the situation before the Lord, which the Lord brought him into. Again, this is part of what we see in Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when we prove for by him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and He chastises every son whom He receives. He humbly turns to the one whom He knows is brought, has brought Him into this position of discipline. And He asks for deliverance. He acknowledges all of this, and He says, I called to you out of my distress. This is what chastened, repentant children of God do because they understand that, that God is graciously working in their lives and their hearts. But there's something that is even more distressing to Jonah than being in the belly of the whale. And here's the next aspect of repentance. So Jonah not only turns to God in his distress, but then Jonah turns to God agonizing over his sense of separation from God. And I do mean sense. It's not that Jonah is truly separated from God, for God cannot separate himself from his children, but he feels this way. This is, a, this is a true mark of repentance here. Look at verses 2 through 6. What do you think bothered Jonah the most? He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Listen, look into this next parallel phrase. In his distress, he felt as if he was in the belly of Sheol, the place of the dead in the Old Testament. He also says in verse 3, again, you cast me into the deep. Look what he says in verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. The very thing that he wanted to do, now he is like, this is not what I want. I don't want to be driven away from your sight, from your presence. And he has some hope even here. And he says, yet I shall look Again, upon your holy temple. Look at how he says even in verse 6. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah has this sense of being shut away from life and God. And God's presence. I think what troubled Jonah the most was that he felt like God was letting him have his way. He's the one who was running away. And he felt like the God from whom he was running away was now shutting him away from the love and life and joy and light of his presence forever. You know, this is something important to just kind of slow down and think about for a minute. This sense of spiritual proximity to God is keenly felt by a child of God. The 
the sense of spiritual distance is dreaded by a child of God. This kind of sense of enjoying fellowship with God is the greatest delight of a true child of God. You live for it. And there's nothing that a child of God dreads more than to be dead to the delights of his father's love. Jonah was running away from what he truly loved the most as a child of God, but he was being stubborn in his pride. And though God never lets his children go, though God never gives his children over to eternal separation, though God's children never truly lose fellowship with him, but rather he pursues them, with goodness and steadfast love all the days of our lives, our Father sometimes allows His children to experience a sense of spiritual distance from Him in a disciplinary way so that they may turn to Him again and run humbly and repentantly back to His embrace like the prodigal son with his father. Have you found that to be true? This is what Jonah is sensing in speaking of in this prayer. I don't believe personally at this point, and I'm certainly willing to be corrected, I don't believe that Jonah actually died or actually went to hell, though some do teach that. Jonah is using poetic language here to honestly express what he's experiencing. The historic account of of verse 1, for example, tells us plainly where Jonah is and what he's doing. He's in the belly of the fish and he's praying. But this is what Jonah is feeling in his soul because of his sin, because of his choices. That's part of God's discipline. And he's come to realize that running from God is his worst nightmare. He wants God. He wants to be near God. He wants to enjoy the presence of God. And so he turns to God in his heart and longs for him to have the joy of his salvation restored. Just Just like David prayed in Psalm 51. Please restore to me the joy of my salvation. Or like David prayed, cast me not away from what? Your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. That is the deepest dread of a child of God. I want to be near God. I want nothing, nothing to hinder the full and free enjoyment of fellowship with God. Right? That's, that's the way a child of God, what Jonah's experiencing, that's the way a child of God thinks. And this is what chastened, repentant children of God think and, and speak of and pray because God is graciously, lovingly at work in their hearts. The next one, Jonah turns to God in confession, repentance, and faith. Finally, all of this comes to bear upon Jonah's heart. And he, he, it works in Jonah's heart. It's interesting to note those changes. You see verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said. It's almost like God's sovereign work of discipline moved Jonah respond. Then I said. When that happened to me, then I said. Or even later on, he speaks of this elsewhere. I'm not seeing it immediately. When my life was fainting away, verse 7, I remembered the Lord. God is, or Jonah is turning to God in confession, repentance, and faith. Where do we see these things? Because that's important to see. Well, first of all, notice that Jonah is, in, in, in his own way here, confessing his sin. I see it, first of all, in verse 8. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. I think two things are possibly going on in this phrase with, in Jonah's prayer. One, he is, in a way, admitting his own pursuit of himself and running from God. I... Know what it's like, he says now, to pursue something other than God. And you know what that brings you? A sense of hopelessness. Right? You turn from God and run from Him like I did? 
you forsake steadfast love because God is love. So I think that's one way that he's confessing his sin. He's admitting something of his own experience with idolatry and running from God in that way. But also, notice, it says, I will sacrifice to you. He's now saying the same thing that the sailors said in the storm. Sacrifice in the Scriptures, Old Testament Scriptures, always coupled with God's place of atonement for sin, right? And of course, Jonah can't make that sacrifice right at the moment. He's, he's in the belly of the fish, but in his heart he is. In his heart, he's trusting in God's provisions for atonement because he knows his sin. He knows he needs that atonement. He's ready to turn and retrace his steps and make that sacrifice. Second, Jonah repents. Notice, again, what is repentance? is, is turning, retracing the steps and, and walking in obedience to God's commands. He says here, I, what I have vowed, I will pay. As a prophet, certainly Jonah must have vowed to God that he will speak his word and, and obey his word without question. And now Jonah is saying, well, I'm going to retrace my steps and do exactly what I have committed to God to do. So you see Jonah's repentance. You also see Jonah's trust and hope in God's salvation. You see it all through this prayer. You see it here. I called to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me. He's calling to the Lord. He's trusting in the Lord. And, and He experiences God's saving response. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. I called. I cried. You heard. Also in verse 4, Then I said, I am driven from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple. He's trusting in the faithfulness of Yahweh to bring him back to the place of communion. He's also saying this in verse 6, at the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. He hopes and trusts in Yahweh. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. That is a prayer of faith. Because certainly, Jonah was in the depths. Also, verse 8. He is himself hoping in the steadfast love of the Lord. And verse 9, declaring salvation belongs to the Lord. This is exactly where God intended to bring Jonah, and God was successful in doing so. Repentance, confession, and trust. This is an essential aspect of fellowship with God. This is a, a vital channel of experiencing the grace of God. I just want to ask you that question. When you know that you have sinned against the Lord, or even someone else, but you are not enjoying fellowship with God, do you take the time to enjoy the grace of confession? You get alone with God. Confess your sin to Him. Affirm His forgiveness of you and plead with Him for the work of His grace. Don't hurry through that. Enjoy the grace of God to change your heart, to lift your heart, and to worship Him. Even there, 1 John 1, 5 through 2 and 2, talks about this. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive and to cleanse. Right? If we cover our sin, if we deny it, even specific sin, but that's, that's to speak a lie. And we can go to God freely and confess our sin without fear of judgment as His children because we know, chapter 2 of 1 John, verses 1 and 2, that we have the righteous advocate and a propitiation, Jesus Christ, the righteous. This, this is what chastened, repentant children of God do because God graciously, lovingly works in their hearts. And how did God respond to Jonah? Did He turn away? Well, Jonah turns to God and experiences God, His grace. That's the next aspect. I think we're on eight. I should have numbered these in my notes. Or seven. No, that's seven. Jonah turns to God and experiences His grace. Again, think of this. I find some of these verses so interesting because remember, Jonah is still in the belly of the great fish. From verse chapter 1, verse 17, all the way through 
to the end of verse 9. He's in the belly of the fish. So what does Jonah mean then when he prayed about God's gracious response to him? Again, like in verse 2. What does he mean? He answered me. You heard my voice. Or verse 4. I shall look upon your holy temple. Or verse 6. You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Or verse 7, my prayer came to you into your holy temple. How does he know all that? He's still down there. He's still got weeds around his head. right? How does he know that the Lord has answered him and brought him up out of the pit? What is he talking about? It looks like he's still in the pit to us, right? Jonah's situation hasn't changed. He's still in the belly. I believe what Jonah is describing here by God's gracious response is not what will happen in verse 10. That's not not the most important thing to Jonah right then. But what had already happened in the belly of the great fish, even in Jonah's heart, he knew that God had heard his prayer. Oh, my father heard me. He knows it. The Spirit of God is bearing witness to him in that. He knows that God has forgiven his sin and dealt with his guilt. The Word is witnessing to him that that's true for him right then. He knows that God has restored him to the joy of his presence. He knows that God has comforted him in his Word, has given to him a sense of peace, has been treating him like a son with the discipline has been working repentance and change in his heart. Just the fact that Jonah's looking at his own responses and saying, this is not who I was a half an hour ago. Wow, God is at work in me. He has pulled me up out of the pit. He knew that God was forming his own character in him. He had a clearer perspective of his own sinfulness, but knew that God was still pouring his love into his heart. He knew that God was not punishing him, but disciplining him. He knew that he was experiencing a grace from God that he did not deserve. He was experiencing the salvation that belongs to the Lord. And this is exactly what chastened, repentant children of God experience as well. Eight, Jonah turns to God with thanksgiving. You see it there in verse nine. You say, what? But I, with a voice thanksgiving. Isn't that something? Where's Jonah again? Weeds wrapped around his head? Laying in in, in the fish's belly? And he's giving thanks to the Lord. Jonah isn't complaining about his circumstances. Even the weight of his chastening. He's not complaining about. This is, these consequences, God, they're too much. No. He's not saying that. He's not even complaining about the length of it. Really? Three days and three nights? These nights are getting long. How long is that? 72 hours? You ever spent 72 hours in the belly of a great fish? That could feel long. 72 hours. And this is far worse than I'm certain we could ever imagine. But Jonah isn't discontent. He's not grumbling or ungrateful in the lowest place. He's filled with a sense of thanksgiving to God for His grace. For forgiveness. Restoring the joy of His salvation. Why? Because He's realized clearly and in a fresh way His own sinfulness. His own unfaithfulness. His own idolatry. His own selfishness. His own bitterness. His own pride. His hatred. His unworthiness. And yet, He sees so clearly that he's an undeserving recipient of great grace. He's welcomed into the presence of God. He's forgiven. He's being restored. He needed that to get ready to go and talk to Nineveh, right? He needed to be humble. And he's grateful. He's grateful for all of that grace. This is what chastened, repentant children of God experience because God is graciously and lovingly at work in their hearts. And only then is he ready to preach the word to others. Number nine, Jonah turns to tell others. Jonah needed to learn about his own sinfulness and the saving power and grace of God before he could preach to others. This is Jonah's maybe Isaiah 6 experience. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. 
And then I said what? Woe is me. I am undone. I have unclean lips. And it comes from an unclean heart. I need to be cleansed from the place of atonement. Right? That's Isaiah's experience. And here we have Jonah with the same. Created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Only after Jonah realized his own sinfulness and the grace of God that was poured out on him was he ready to talk to unbelievers about it. Because otherwise he would come across arrogant, entitled, proud, repulsive. But now he's humbled by grace. He's humbled by sin. Boy, infinitely valuable lessons are learned at the very bottom, aren't they? It's exactly where God teaches us. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Finally and quickly, Yahweh then spoke. Yahweh spoke. The Lord spoke to the vision. It vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Finally, when God has accomplished what He has set out to accomplish in His child by His steadfast love, and His child is brought to humble repentance and godly growth, He lifts up that child lovingly out of the depths of that discipline. That's exactly what happened to Jonah here. He lifts him up out. That's exactly what we see in the New Testament when God says, I will exalt you. I'll pull you up out of this this disciplinary situation, this training trial. And just as there's no situation that God is incapable of arranging for our discipline, there's no situation in which He is incapable of delivering us. Jonah knows this firsthand. James 4.10 Humble yourself before the Lord and what? He will exalt you. He will lift you up. It describes repentance right before it, doesn't it? Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will exalt you. Or 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and at the right time, what? He will exalt you. Casting all your anxiety on Him for He he cares for you. Now Jonah's often in to preach God's Word. And God sends His children on their way, prepared, equipped, emptied, humbled, but filled with His grace and love to accomplish the good works that He has planned for them. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In closing this morning, we know that there are many like Jonah, right? This is one narrative that we can all easily just slip ourselves right in the place of Jonah. We're like Jonah. We run from God's word. We run from God's face in our sin. We run from God's will. We often in pride and bitterness or for some other reason even refuse to act like God's servants taking His word to the world. That's another huge application in this whole prophecy is that we are poor servants of His who will not humbly, filled with a sense of His grace, go and speak the gospel to the world. And God, but God will prepare us. God will never let us go because of His steadfast love. There it is. His steadfast love. He loves us. He has promised to form the heart and character of His Son in us, whom He has saved. So He will appoint for us a great fish, a great disciplinary trial to swallow us and bring us to the place of confession, repentance. And trust. God does this. Your Father does this for you. Are you in that position today? Think about it. What has God appointed to swallow you in order to bring you to a place of repentance and preparation for His service? God can use so many things to do that, can't He? You don't need a whale come up in your front yard. God has other ways. How about sickness? Financial strain. 
the grief of death. Relationships that go so difficult, like marriage or children or parents. Or how about work? God can turn anything into a great fish and bring us very low so that we are humble. And we see our sin for what it is. Our brought to repentance and a glorious experience of his grace to transform us. So how are you responding to that? And you know, God will keep us in the belly of that discipline until he accomplishes his purpose in us. He loves us too much to let us out too soon. So are you responding to God's discipline as a humble son or daughter of his? Are you turning to God in prayer? Running to your father. Are you turning to his word for wisdom and asking for it? Are you trusting in God's sovereignty, knowing that he is the one who appointed this, this fish? Are you turning to God in your distress, seeing it for what it is and calling out to him? Are you turning to God, agonizing over your sense of distance relationally from Him, not positionally, but in the sense of enjoying your salvation? Are you confessing your sin to Him, repenting of it, and trusting in the saving work of Christ? Are you experiencing God's grace? Are you overflowing with thanksgiving? This is such a high and lofty thing, isn't it? This is a work of God in our hearts as His children, And are you preparing to tell others? How often did Jesus say that? Even to Peter, after you're restored, you will strengthen your brothers. That's why God does this too. Surrender, dear ones, to the loving work of God. He's so kind and loving to to bring us low. He has eternal redemptive plans. We saw it in Ruth. We can see it here. He will do what is best for you and for His glory. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And one other thought here. There are are many like Jonah, yet how is it that God can and will treat us like this and doesn't just let us have it or let us go? Why? Why not? Because while there are many like Jonah, there's one that's greater than Jonah. Right? The only reason Yahweh can respond like this to sinners such as us in such situations is because of the greater reality to which this story points. Jesus said it. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from You. But He answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the belly It was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is a really good expositor because He nails the point of Jonah. He says, you... Israelites, hearing this message, are called to repentance, and you're not, even though the greater prophet is speaking to you. And Jonah, the lesser prophet, the rebellious prophet, spoke to Nineveh, and they repented. And so we have this invitation from Christ to turn and to trust in Him and to respond to the discipline of our Father. As children of Yahweh, think of it, we will never have to face wrath and abandonment from God, even though we may run from Him, because Christ did face it. In our place, God can justly and lovingly treat us like sons and daughters, all because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to which Jonah points. So don't spurn the love and grace of God that's been poured upon you in Christ. What a compelling invitation to to turn, to confess, to repent, and be restored to the Lord. Before I pray, dear friend, listen. Does God deal with you like this? 
in your sin? Do you know that He does? Has He? Think of it, please. Has God dealt with you like this in your sin? With loving discipline? Do you respond to God like this under His discipline? Not that perfectly, I'm not saying that, but just you see this there in some form to God, like we've talked about. Humble confession, repentance, and faith. In other words, does God treat you like a child? And do you treat God like a father? Can you answer that in your own heart? I must say this to you honestly and boldly that if you have not experienced this kind of relationship with God, a relationship of loving discipline and humble repentance, then you cannot be assured that you are his child. You have to come to that. That's God's goodness to you to let you hear that. Search your soul. Because the scripture says, all whom the Lord loves, he disciplines like this. And chastens every son whom he receives. If you don't know any of this in your life, turn to Christ. Run to Christ. That's why his name is Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And all who come to Christ turning from sin, turning from themselves to trust in Him and His life and death and resurrection in their place, receiving Him for all who He is and resting in His work will be born of God and called children of God. You have that promise from God. John 1, 12-13 But all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So I want to compel you as you hear this testimony from Jonah today. That you would not be a self-deluding hearer and think because you've heard this and understand it that this is true for you. Look in your life. See, are you treated like a son or daughter? And do you respond to God as a father like this? And if not, it's not too late. You're here. You're breathing. You're thinking. Turn to Christ. Humble yourself. He will receive you because He is full of mercy and grace and steadfast love. Would you stand and pray with me this morning? Father, I am so grateful that You deal with Your children like this and what a help it is to us. We need it. We need your discipline. We need your love like this. And I pray that you would give us the grace to be honest in our own hearts this morning to see if what is in Jonah's life is somehow mirrored in ours. And if it is, Father, we are so grateful. May we be humble and pliable in your hands. We're so grateful for the work of Jesus who allows us to be sons and daughters. May we not resist him who speaks to us as did those to whom Jesus was speaking. May we come in repentance like Nineveh, like the sailors, like Jonah. Give us this grace, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus.